Our gospel reading of the Transfiguration this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Please be seated. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for gathering us together this day to worship you, to uh, bask in the light of your transfiguration and the light of your love. And we pray this morning that you would open our minds and open our hearts to all that you have in store for us. Help us to see you and see ourselves and see our world in a new light, to be surprised by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Did anybody watch the Grammys a couple weeks ago? It was something else. Um, I don't know if you noticed either while you were watching it or in the coverage afterwards, but there was a ton of religious-themed music and performances uh, at the Grammys that night. For instance, there was Chance the Rapper, who was very open about his Christian faith. He won Best Rap Album, Best Rap Performance, and Best New Artist. But he not only thanked God during his acceptance speech, but as one writer said, he took the Grammys to church, performing his songs, How Great and All We Got, with some no problem and blessings thrown in. And he was accompanied by gospel singers in the background and a full gospel choir. He sang about his grandmother and her love and going to church with her on Sundays and Christmas dinners, all to this gospel choir's refrain. And that performance and his music has been the object of very serious religious reflection. Um, And one writer said this about the performance. She said, the performance gave us an insight into Chance's unique brand of Christianity. It isn't the stuff of coffee shop devotionals and megachurches. It's not practiced in weekday young adult services. It isn't hipster holiness either. It doesn't aspire to be cool or convenient, but vital. It looks like a grandmother descended from slaves at a black church in her Sunday best, and it's precious and resilient in the same way an heirloom is. And it turns out that he's reaching younger generations with this message. The writer goes on to say, the truth is that Chance's gospel is powerful for an increasing number of Christian millennials who find it harder and harder not to join their religiously unaffiliated friends. Well, that performance was pretty amazing, but it only turned out to be a warm-up for Beyonce's performance afterwards of Love Drought and Sandcastle. Um, Now, I love Beyonce, and uh, 
I didn't think it was possible to adore Beyonce anymore, but now she's having twins, and, and I have twins, and that is a life bond. We are bonded, even if Beyonce doesn't know it. Her amazing performance, it's like a seven-minute piece of religious artwork, um, evoked the divine feminine from many different faith traditions, but um, this, head, this golden headpiece that she wore really evoked the Christian iconography, depictions of the Virgin Mary. Um, and so when I saw her, I immediate, that's where my mind immediately jumped. She looked like Mary there, pregnant with twins. And she was surrounded by a stage full of dancer disciples who had halos. It was like a medieval Christian painting had come to life. And my church history loving soul went a flutter. <laughs> Um, They gathered, and they danced, and they sung, if you notice, or you want to go back and look, uh, across a long, long table that was meant to remind us of the Last Supper. Uh, And when she leaned back in the chair on the edge of that table, pregnant with tin, singing, it was absolutely stunning. If you haven't seen those performances already, they're online, and I encourage you to go and look. Now, both of these transcendent performers, Chance the Rapper and Beyonce, they took a song a genre, a performance, a stage, and they used it to reveal a faith born of memory and suffering, hope and joy, and in Beyonce's case, the beauty and the power of motherhood, both her own and Mary's. Chance the Rapper is not only a rapper, but a witness to the power of the Christian faith as his source of joy and perseverance. Beyonce, with her performance and her album Lemonade and video formation, has transcended even her high pop diva status to become a much-watched performance artist. These are part of a larger theme of what one writer has called the Christianity hiding in plain sight within our American pop culture. It's right there, if we are watching, and not just as simple platitudes, but a bold, powerful witness and message of faith. Reflecting on these performances, Episcopal priest Broderick Greer uh, said this. He said, these artists don't see the secular and the sacred as being two different things. This is an animated universe with spirits and life and diversity and lots of modes of giftedness that are all happening at once. And it's not either or, but both and. And this is what true artists do. They show us the world And then they reveal something new or beautiful or profound about it. They help us to see it in a new way. We think we are just watching or looking or listening to be entertained. But then we realize in a moment, as I did watching the Grammys, that they're preaching to us. That they have taken us to church too. And this is the nature of Revelation They show us something that was always and already there for us to see that we might have missed. And they illuminate life in such a way that we might even say that it's transfigured. And that's something of what happens on the mountain with Jesus and the disciples during his transfiguration, which we just heard in the gospel reading. As the story goes, Jesus takes three of his chief disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to a high mountain which was not uncommon for Jesus to do. He often retreated to the mountainside to get away from the crowds. But then something extraordinary happens. Jesus is transfigured, transformed right before their very eyes. 
He becomes dazzling white like the sun, and Moses the great lawgiver and Elijah the great prophet appear at his sides. And this scene of Jesus awashed in light, flanked by Moses and Elijah, confirms to the disciples that Jesus is who they think he is, the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets, all the scriptures, that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is revealed as the Son of God to his disciples in glorious, glorious fashion. But the most glorious part of it all for me is not the light or Moses or Elijah. It's when God says out of the clouds, this is my beloved, my beloved son, my beloved child. He is mine and I'm so pleased with him. Listen to him. This revelation comes not just wrapped in bright light and in good company, but in that single word, beloved. You can keep the light show. I'll take that instead any day. You might recall that this kind of thing happened before to Jesus. At his baptism, as he rose up out of the waters of the Jordan River, God said of Jesus, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And there are several moments across the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus' true identity as God's beloved and his urgent mission to save us from ourselves are revealed to an ever-expanding number of people. It's a revelation of love, of oneness with the Father and devotion to God and to neighbor. And this has been one of the overarching themes of this season of Epiphany, which draws to a close this morning. The growing light of Jesus' ministry, the expanding revelation of his identity and mission, bookended by his baptism at the beginning of Epiphany and ending with transfiguration today. And from here, that mission will drive him down the mountain, toward Jerusalem and drive us to Ash Wednesday this week and into the season of Lent. It's a mission that will take Jesus to the cross through death in order to win us new life, to cast out everything that separates us from God. And it will take us on that journey along with him through Lent and Holy Week and to Easter morning. But if we might linger on the mountaintop here for just another minute, let me ask, What have been those moments of transfiguration in your life? Moments when you felt and you knew that you were God's beloved child. Maybe it happened once a long time ago and that's your spiritual rock and foundation. Or maybe you'd say to me, there are more moments than I can count. When has something in your life, something seemingly plain and ordinary, suddenly been transformed in a moment and you said to yourself like Jacob, God was in this place, and I did not know it. When has a song stirred something deep in your soul and allowed you to feel something more? When have you caught yourself being overcome with gratitude or lost in the wonder of a moment? When do you know that you are beloved? And if you never have, you can see me after church, and I will tell you. These two, these moments in our lives are moments of revelation and transfiguration. When God shines a light on us, our lives, and our world, and we are transformed and transfigured. You know, we get it wrong when we think that the Bible is something that just happened a long time ago, and that the transfiguration is something that just happened once a long time ago to somebody else. 
But that's not the point of the Bible or of any sacred Scripture. The Bible is a living Word that speaks to us today and tells us eternal truths and helps us to find our own stories in the midst of God's story. Transfiguration was not just a single moment in Galilee a long time ago. Transfiguration is, I think, a way that Christians see the world, seeing in our family and friends and neighbors that longing to know that they're okay, that they're worthy and loved and safe, a longing to hear the message that, yes, we too, because of Jesus, are bathed in the belovedness of God, transfigured in our own baptisms, transfigured by the love of God and through the love and prayers and promises of others. How will you shine that light to your neighbors? How will you reveal to them their own beloved status in God's eyes? How will you, in so many ways and words or acts of mercy, paint them a picture or sing them a song of this world that reveals its beauty and holiness for them to see and claim as their own? You don't have to be Chance the Rapper or Beyonce to do that. We take the love that has been so freely given to us by God through Jesus and pass it on to our neighbors just as freely. We can reflect the light of that transfigured Christ on the mountainside in all that we do and all that we say. As Beyonce said at the Grammys, baptize me now that reconciliation is possible. If we're going to heal, let it be glorious. Amen.